The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. A reading from Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 12. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Michael. I welcome all of you. I'm Brian Salter, one of the pastors here. It's great to see you this morning for worship of our Lord. We are concluding a brief three-week Renew series, as will be our custom, uh, for two more years. We did that last year in October. Uh, we'll, we're doing it again this year, and we'll continue to work through Isaiah, because Isaiah is giving the people of God a vision for renewal. And if you have been with us, you know that we are in a season of renewal, uh, praying for God to renew us, not only our physical space, but our hearts and all of who we are. Last week, we celebrated as a church our 130th anniversary. 
The Renew campaign is looking forward to our 150th birthday party in 2042, 20 years from now. We're planning already for that party by seeking renewal so that at that moment we will celebrate kingdom realities, the glory of God, the advance of his purposes through us into the world. So this sermon is preparation for what we will celebrate. So I wanna pray that God will speak to us, convict us, challenge us, and change us. Let's pray. Our Father, we hear in the text that you are the potter and we are the clay. Help us approach your word this morning in that fashion, yielding to you, your hands, your work. Have your way with us. Do not restrain yourself. We want all of your work in all of our lives in every area. That's our hope. That's our prayer. That's a, that's a prayer that may, for some of us, think all of us, everything. <laughs> Yes, Lord, that is for our best, for your glory. So come with your word. Would you change us, convict us, comfort us, challenge us? We pray in your name. Amen. About 25 years ago at Yellowstone National Park, there was a big problem. The elk population was getting out of control. Someone had the idea of reintroducing wolves into Yellowstone. So after much debate, they agreed to give it a try. 14 wolves were released into Yellowstone in 1995. It was called the Yellowstone Wolf Project. And what happened blew ecologists and biologists away because the wolves started hunting elk. Sure, that, that cut down the elk population because the wolves were on the hunt. But that also meant that the elk started avoiding areas where they were easy prey, which meant grass and vegetation and plants grew again. And when certain plants grew again, more bugs and berries came, which brought ducks and new birds back because of the insects and the new plants that grew into trees brought beavers back. Then the dams that the beavers built brought new otters and muskrats and the rabbits came, which meant hawks and foxes came back. And amazingly, even the rivers changed because the erosion decreased with new vegetation and new pools formed. The wolves literally changed everything at Yellowstone National Park. What started simply as a way to control the elk population ended up being the single factor that brought all of Yellowstone back to new levels of life and flourishing, erosion reversed, things that were broken were beginning to be healed. Everything was put to right because the wolves were inserted into the park. Similar to the wolves let loose in the park, Jesus came from heaven to earth. We had a big problem, sin, death, ruin, misery. And he began to set things right. He began to make that which was crooked straight. 
He began to bring restoration to what was broken. He began to heal what was dying. Jesus came to reverse the effects of sin in the world and in our lives. He came to make all things new. Jesus changes everything. And he gave this task to the church. The bringing of God's will to earth as it is in heaven in every area and realm of life. He sent us out into the world, kind of like the wolves were sent out into Yellowstone. Put things to right. Bring flourishing. Reverse the fall. And when the world is not being put to rights, but instead, as we see, finds itself in ruins, it's the church that has failed in its missional task. The proper response towards such disastrous ruins in our world and the kingdom conditions is not to blame the world, but it is to own our failure and consider our longings for we were sent into the world by Jesus, not a wolf, the lamb, to set things right. Where the world is in ruins, it's on us, the church. God's people in Isaiah had failed to bring the realities of the kingdom to bear on their world and among their people, and the kingdom was thus then left in ruins. They were asking the question, what's the way back? What's the way towards renewal, towards restoration? Those questions we've been asking. And their path is our path. This morning we'll see that we must earnestly long for God's unmistakable intervention. We must honestly face our long-standing sins and we must desperately cry out for God's work of restoration. That is the path for them. That was the path for them. That is the path for us if we are to go into the world to set things aright until our Savior comes fully and finally forever. So in chapter 63, verse 7, through the end of this chapter, 64, we move in Isaiah from him making declarations of intent and exhortations to prayer. It's Isaiah who's praying. Prayer is at the heart of renewal. The prophet prays in line with the traditions of Moses, the great intercessor. And we find that true renewal in the hearts of God's people comes as we earnestly long for God's unmistakable intervention. Verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. You see, as Moses prays for renewal, he moves in chapter 63, verse 5, to saying, Oh, look upon us. Look upon us, O Lord, to now saying, come down upon us. Don't just look, come down. He is asking for an unmistakable intervention of God in real space, in real time. The sort of longing knows as verse 2 says in 64 as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence that if God were to pour himself out and come down 
there would be the sort of sudden change that happens when fire catches dead, dry brush. He's longing earnestly for God to rend the heavens and come down, to boil the water of the hearts of sinners, as it were, and change us. Now, we know that God answered this prayer in the second person of the Trinity. God came down in Jesus Christ, his son. And we know that God will come again in Jesus Christ to fully set everything aright. But what about in the middle, in between those two comings? Until then, we need to earnestly long and beg for God. Would you rend the heavens and come down by your spirit while we wait for your son? We need the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon us for renewal. Ray Ortland says that renewal acknowledges that because of our desperate condition, we need unmistakable visit from God. We are in a pathetic condition and we need an unusual divine event. And it is out of this longing, it is out of prayers arising of this nature, rend the heavens and come down, that renewal comes. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on this text and said, the earnest prayers of the church must accompany the preaching of the word. The most trusted ministries are all in vain unless the church waters the seed of the word sown by her abundant tears and prayers. Isaiah's praying. He's showing us that true renewal comes through earnest longing and prayer. Ortland goes on to say that part of the problem with American Christianity is that we feel very little urgency and very little longing. We are actually very unaware of our mediocrity. Renewal means you become aware of the urgent need for God to come visit us in a particular way because of our status. Are, are you hungry for more of God's presence? Or are you satisfied with the status quo of where things are? If you are hungry, would you join together as we're praying in 31 days of prayer this month? Would you join together in fervent, earnest prayer, asking God to rend the heavens and come down on Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church? <clears throat> Are you hungry for that? Remember as he does in verse three, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. He's, he's remembering Exodus. We, We've seen you visit us. Look out, Prez, we've seen him visit us. There was a renewal that turned the entire way the church was going around in the 70s. And we need the fresh winds of the Holy Spirit to blow once again. We know he can, we know he has. We need it again. Would you pray? Would you pray? Would you long like Isaiah? Trusting in the very nature of God as you long in verses four through five. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you. Understanding the nature of God, he's, un, he's the one true God. 
And he acts for those who wait for him, who long for him. It says, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. As we pray, would you join together in asking for God to give us joy as we do righteousness. That he would give us longing and waiting and urgency in our prayer. That was the pathway towards renewal and restoration. Then it is the only pathway for us now. There will be no renewal apart from the earnest prayers of God's people. Will you join in renewing prayer? But true renewal also comes in the hearts of God's people as we face honestly our longstanding sins. You see, the question of the people in light of their desperate situation and condition that is outlined in Isaiah is at the end of verse five. We sinned, and in our sins we've been a long time. Shall we be saved? It's the question in light of the pathetic condition, is there hope? We're sin infected, we're sin contaminated, we're sin dried. We're danger of being blown away by the winds of this world can we be rescued can we be restored can we be renewed will we be saved that's the question when you begin to take in the desperate condition of the situation of the church right now in this moment what's the condition of the American church look at the condition of the world we were sent out to set it to rights Do not so separate those that we merely blame the world and huddle together. The condition of the world is tied to the condition of the church. The condition is not good. Verses six through seven says, like them, we've all become like one who is unclean. Notice four likes. We're like the unclean. We're like a leper. We're contagiously unclean. Might it be that our lack of righteousness is what is contaminating the world as we go into it? It goes on to say in verse 6, we're like, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Our righteousness is defiled. He's not even talking about our unrighteousness there. Our good deeds, our, our righteousness stinks. What about our unrighteousness? As we're like in verse six, we all fade like a leaf. It's a picture of dryness. Walk out in your yard and step on the ground. You'll, you'll get the picture of Isaiah with this leaf. It's a picture of decay and death because of dryness. And it says it's, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. That dry leaf that just easily blows away. That's the condition of the people. Further in verse 7, he says, there's a, there's a general disinterest in the Lord. There's no one who calls upon your name and rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. You've made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. There's disinterest. There's no one who rouses himself. Literally, people are asleep spiritually. Do you think some of these things might describe the church of Jesus Christ in our own place? Dry, asleep, callous to our sin. 
You see, at the heart of renewal is not just prayer. It's honest, deep repentance. Repentance. Not naming things as better than they are, but as they really are. Before a holy God who we'll see is also a merciful God. Isaiah, on behalf of the people, finally starts to name things as they really are. Spurgeon in his sermon goes on to say, it's easy to commit sin, it's hard to confess it. Man will transgress without a tempter, but even when urged by the most earnest pleader, he will not acknowledge his guilt. Without repentance, without honesty, facing our long-standing sins and dry condition and sleepiness spiritually, there will be no renewal. And again, I say to you, we may think we're well, but look at our city. How could we be well if our city is not? That we, as a recent study said, we're the wealthiest zip code in the state of Tennessee and just below us are two of the poorest. We were sent to set things right. Church of Jesus Christ, are we really well? See, if we'll really face that, we might start to repent and pray. Church of Jesus Christ at large in America, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research. They partner every two years to take the theological temperature of the United States to help better understand the culture and the church. The survey asked U.S. adults and then they distinguish the data of evangelicals defined as this. Evangelicals in their research have the Bible as the highest authority. They say it's important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice for sins that can remove the penalty of sin and only those who trust in Jesus alone as their savior receive God's gift of salvation. That's what their research defines as an evangelical. No political affiliations, no nothing, just those four things. Presented with this statement, everyone is born innocent in the sight of God. 65% of American evangelicals agreed. 71% under the age of 49, which was the same percentage of the general population of adults. 71% of U.S. adults said, we agree, people are born innocent in the sight of God. The church is no different. That's a foundational doctrine for salvation. That's a foundational doctrine for renewal. We are, as Isaiah says, sin-stained, dried up in desperate condition. Our repentance needs renewal if we are to spread widespread renewal as Jesus has sent us as the church. And there's good news. In the midst of our prayer and repentance, we desperately cry out for God's restorative work, point three, and we know who he is. He is full of mercy. He is our father. He is the potter. He is ready to work. He is merciful to sinners, as the text will tell us. Our cry is not merely to an angry, hostile God, but to one who mercifully, as Isaiah pictures it, touches us as a father and a potter. Verse 8, 
But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord. Remember not iniquity forever, plea for forgiveness. Behold, and he says it again, please look. We are all your people. That, that repentant posture, that longing turns now to a hope for mercy because of knowing who God is. Oh, Father, oh, Potter, be merciful to us, a hardened clump of clay. Oh, Father, forgive us. Oh, Father, help us. I love that. Behold, look, help. That's the picture. Micah 7, 18 says, Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Our God is a father, a good father. We're his children by adoption. He will not disown us as rebellious as we may be. He will discipline us. But upon repentance and prayerful longing, he will restore us. He loves us. He wants the best for us. He's a potter. We're the clay. Without a potter who knows how to soften the clay and work the clay, clay hardened alone is useless. God holds all power over us like a potter and his hands are the fatherly hands and he, he longs to say, yield to me. Come to me. Bring yourselves to me with prayer and repentance and my fatherly potter hands will take you and I'll shape you into something that you never would be apart from me. That's what we're praying for with renewal. To come to the Father's potter hands. Spurgeon again says, I am helpless like the clay which cannot fashion itself. I am worthless, Lord like the clay of no value. I am filthy, Lord, like clay. I am only worthy to be trodden underfoot, but thou art the potter. And potters can make fine things, even of clay, vessels of honor out of dishonorable earth. So when you look around at our world, the condition of our world, do you you see a need for the potter's hand, for the father's hand, desperately cry out for God's restoration. In verses 10 through 12, he, Isaiah states the condition of the kingdom of the world at that time in their estimation. Verse 10, your holy cities have become a wilderness, Jerusalem. Zion has become a wilderness, Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you, the temple, has been burned by fire and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Isaiah looks not only at the condition of the people but at the condition of the kingdom and says it feels like it's in ruins. It feels like there's been a collapse. 
I hear us, many of us, and I share it. We look upon our world and it feels like collapse or ruins. It feels like desolation at times. It feels what's happening. And he asked this question after looking at it in verse 12. Will you restrain yourself at these things? What a great prayer. Oh God, be not restrained. Come with your powerful working might. No restraint, Lord. Come fully. Again, rend the heavens and come down. Will you restrain yourself? It's a cry for God to come restore given the conditions of the kingdom of God. Our prayer should be for God to do his will for his glory in his way by his gospel in the generations ahead without restraint. No matter what that means or what that costs. True renewal comes to us as we, do you see it? It's clear. As we earnestly long, as we honestly face, as we desperately cry, at the heart of renewal is prayer and repentance upon the preaching of God's word. The word goes forth, and the people began to pray and repent. There is no other formula for renewal. That's the pathway. I connect us further to the text as we conclude. In Isaiah 63, verse 15, Isaiah prayed, look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Look down from heaven, Lord, and see from your holy place, the heavenly temple, the heavenly habitation of God. And then in 6411, do you remember? He says, but our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire. Isaiah there is contrasting the heavenly reality with the earthly replica. And the earthly replica looks nothing like the heavenly reality. It's actually in complete ruins. And that is a deep disturbance for Isaiah. He longs for it to be different. Now, let me take you all the way through the work of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes, dies the death we should have died, pays the penalty for our sins, gives us new life by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you if you're a follower of Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's Spirit lives in you? Don't you know that you are God's habitation? The question that would fuel repentance is this. If the earthly is to be a replica of the heavenly, and that grieved Isaiah's heart about the temple, what about us? What about our lives? What about our thoughts, our words and deeds? Are we a replica of the heavenly? Do we look like the original? Do we care? Are we bothered when the two don't match? That's called repentance. Are we longing for the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. May the replica look more and more like the original. And when that happens, I will tell you, 
the world will start to change. Read every account of renewal and revival and you will see the world is changed because the church is renewed. No more blaming of the world. Let's own our sin. Let's beg for renewal. And let's watch what happens when God works without restraint. Let's pray together. Well, Father, this is a hard message to hear in many ways because we, we like to think we look better than we are. We like to think we're in better condition than we are. And, and in many ways, Lord, you've, you've brought such health and goodness to this church. And, and we may think ourselves as outliers of the condition of the church. There are ways in which that is true. There's also ways in which we look at our own community and our own city. And we know we need renewal. We look at our homes, our relationships. We look at our finances. And we think about what we really want and our ambitions. We start to get honest and we realize, oh Lord, behold, look upon us with mercy. So we ask you, would you please rend the heavens and come down to us in this particular mountain at this church? Would you move among us without restraint? For the glory of God, our good, and the good of the mountain, the city, and the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.